So, did Jesus come to bring peace? Or did he also come to bring turmoil? Tough question, isn't it? The Bible speaks about both. And I want to address it with you tonight, and I want to challenge you to think with me. Did Jesus bring, come to bring peace? Is there a contradiction here when we say he brought peace and also he brought turmoil? So we are preaching through the book of Ephesians, and in my devotions, I'm on to Philippians as well. And I want to encourage you uh, to go through the daily devotion. Six o'clock every morning, we post them, uh, follow it with us, and, and uh, we, we've gone through the book of Ephesians, and now I'm preaching on it as well. So I'm on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Won't you read it with me tonight, maybe on your Bible or electronically as well? Uh, but this is the, the heading in the NIV Bible. It says, Jews and Gentiles reconciled through Christ. In other words, there was a division. There was Jews and Gentiles. The Jews in particular didn't really fancy the Gentiles too much and kept them out and believed that they, uh, they were uh, not as, as, as acceptable to God or to themselves as they should be. And so the, there was this divide. And so the scripture here is speaking about Jews and Gentiles and the division among them and the fact that Jesus has come to make them one. Follow the verses with me. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups, Jews and Gentile, one and has destroyed the barrier by uh, dividing the wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So one of the things that Jesus did at the cross was put to death hostility between people. So he goes on in verse 17, and here's my theme for tonight, or my verse for tonight. He says, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For though uh, through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household. Build on the foundation of the apostle and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God's spirit lives. Let's go back to verse 17. He came and preached peace to you, to those far away and those who are near. He came and pre preached peace to you. In other words, the message of the gospel is a message of peace. When I did uh, English literature at school, uh, you know, it was my third language. It wasn't my strongest subject at school. But I remember stories of uh, Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare. Now, I don't know how many of you did that at school. I don't know if they still do that. But uh, we read some of these stories of Ra uh, um, Romeo and Juliet. And we did some plays as well. I never played in them because my English was not so good. Uh, so Juliet 
utters some of these words. Listen to these words. This is one of the phrases that I remember. She says, what is in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Do you hear what she's saying? What is in a name? I mean, we call it a rose. But even if you call it nothing or anything else, it will still be known by how sweet it smells. So in other words, what Juliet is saying to us is that names are not that important, but what people are are more important. But yet when I go to the Bible, I see, and also in in some uh, uh, nations and some cultural groups, names are very important. Names have a meaning. And whenever I eat somewhere, I ask the waitress, what's your name? And then I would ask, what does your name mean? And normally, they would give me the explanation of their name. All right, so the truth is that sometimes you can get to know something about a person by their name. Although some of us may not give, uh, um, uh, may not give it that, that much importance, we just give a name and later you find out, oh, that's what my name really means. But in, in days gone by, people sometimes either named their children very late, up to seven years, when they could understand the character of the child, or they would rename them after they got to know the character of the child. Now, I don't know when Jacob's mother named him, but Jacob means deceiver. How nice would that be if your mother would name you and say, little deceiver, how are you this, this evening or, or this morning? You know, I don't think it's very nice, but obviously that's what she saw in him. You see, Israel means prince with God. Jesus means salvation. Peter means rock. So names were very important. And maybe your name does mean something. Isaiah the prophet speaks about the birth of Jesus. And it speaks hundreds of years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 it says this. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The night that Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds on the field. And remember what they proclaimed in Luke chapter 2 verse 14. They said this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those. But don't leave the last part out. To whom, with whom he is pleased. That's an important part of the verse. But this is what it says. Peace, peace among people to those who belong to him. You see, the arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the Prince of Peace. But the question remains, and I wanna ask it again. Did Jesus come to bring peace among people, in nations, among one nation and another, in the world? What type of peace, if he did, did he actually bring, if he did bring peace? You see, today people fight wars in the name of religion. And even in the name of Christianity, people have fought wars in the past. And I wonder if that is what Jesus' will really was, that we would fight wars because of his name. In John chapter 14, 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I give you. You see, some have said that Jesus' promise is a direct contradiction of the following verse that I'm going to read to you now. Because in Matthew chapter 10 verse 34, it says this, Do not think that I bring peace on earth. That sounds like a contradiction, Jordan. Because just now he said in the verse I've read, Peace I give you. Now he says, don't think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. 
That seems to be a direct contradiction of the verse I read a little while ago. So what does it then really mean? What kind of peace is it that Jesus has come to bring to you and me, to earth, to people around us? Did Jesus come, let me ask it again, to bring peace? Or did he also come to bring turmoil amongst people? If I read the scripture, I will find it's undisputable, indisputable that Jesus wants his followers to have peace. It is, it is true. He wants us to have peace. In fact, the name Christ and the word peace is 24 times in the King James Version. They are in the same verse. Christ and peace. Let me give you a couple of examples. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ. Same verse. 2 Corinthians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, uh, Thessalonians 5 verse 13. Peace, be at peace among yourselves. In Ephesians 6, 15, he calls uh, uh, the message of Christ the gospel of peace. Philippians 4, verse 7, it speaks about Jesus giving us peace and a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that will guard our hearts and minds. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I've just read it earlier on, it speaks about the prince, Jesus, and peace. So peace and Jesus were closely connected in the Bible as well. Could it be? Could it be that Jesus also came to bring turmoil? I think that is true as well. Certainly, he does bring turmoil. Isn't it true that maybe some of you experience it at this time, that in your own family, that your, your husband or your wife might be believed and the other spouse doesn't? Could it be that a mother believes and a daughter doesn't or a son believes and a father doesn't? Yes, it does. What does it do to that household? This message of peace often brings division in households as well. And that's what Jesus is explaining in chapter 10, uh, verse 34 of the book of Matthew and says, he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and the other way around as well. So Jesus is speaking about the fact that I sometimes, that the gospel, the message that I intend to be a message of peace does bring division and does bring turmoil in families. Let me tell you something. Here's a thought I've been thinking while I prepared this sermon. If Christ did not come, I believe the earth would have gone on undisturbed in its sin and its guilt until doomsday. And yet when he came, the moment Jesus came into the picture, he brought a message of peace. He said, I will reconcile you to the Father. I will forgive your sin. I will remove your guilt. Now who does not want that good news? Yet the same good news brings about turmoil and results sometimes in war, in families and in nations. You see, a war between righteous and sin started and people are clinging to their sin and their unrighteousness and they are fighting against Christ. And the gospel often produces two camps. One is hostile to the other. I think Jesus knew this was going to happen. I think he knew. But I don't think that Jesus meant for his gospel, for his words, to be a message of hostility, to create that. But I think Jesus knew that he, and it wasn't his intention to promote hostility, but I think he knew that what he preached was contradictory to some of the stuff that people were preaching, and it was often highly controversial. Let me give you some examples. I am the way. 
In that verse, Jesus is saying, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you, let me dare you. You go and put that on your Facebook tonight. And see, I believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And you meant it to be, somebody will pick up and say, wow, that is amazing. That's what I've been looking for. I, I need this message. And click, yes, please phone me. I want to give my life to the Jesus. You know what often happens? It's the contrary. The opposite happens. You get messages. Do you really think he's the only way? I don't believe this. No, 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 no. And the same message. So Jesus often said things that were controversial. Another controversial thing that Jesus said is that, Love your enemies. That's not as easy as it sounds, is it? Another thing that Jesus said that was controversial, especially in the times that he was living in, he says, I and the Father are one. In the mind of the Jew, the religious Jew, that was blasphemous. And another time Jesus says to somebody, your sins are forgiven. And they say, how can you do that? Only God can forgive sins. So what I'm saying to you is he did not come with a, mess, with a message to bring hostility, but he knew his message would often go against what was taught and what was lived among even religious people. It was controversial. In Matthew 10 verse 34, he speaks about families, hostile and in turmoil. And he knew that his teaching would affect people like this. That some would accept it gladly and some would respond very negatively to do this as well. And some accept the light and some rejoice in the light and some receive the light. Yet others prefer to live in spiritual darkness and to prefer to live in sin. And these two clash and bring turmoil. And, but he never intended to contradict himself. I will give you peace. And yet Jesus says, I've also brought the sword. You see, in the modern day that we live in, we like to hear about world peace. I've heard so many ladies, they walk down those ramps, Mrs. World, Miss this and Miss that. And when they come to the end, say, what would you like to do in your year of rain? And the answer is almost always, I would like to this and that, and I would like to promote world peace. And I think, go for it, girl. If you get that right, man, I will, I will, give you, I will personally help you to get the crown another five years. How many have said that before? As I, I would like world peace. I'm going to promote world peace. You see, I don't think, think even Jesus came to promote world peace. I don't think so. Yes, he wanted people to live at peace, but I think he knew that people, right from the beginning, people weren't going to accept everything that he says as well. And in fact, the message of peace, as I've said, often in communities does not bring peace. The world is ruled by sin. The world is ruled by people who reject the good news. And this message is often misunderstood. And the message of peace is misunderstood as well. So what is the peace? What kind of peace did Jesus actually come to bring? Well, I can tell you there's a couple of things, and I'm only going to mention a few tonight. The first thing and the first aspect of peace is God, Jesus came so that there would be peace between God, people, men, human beings, and God. And in Romans chapter 5, it speaks about being reconciled. And he came to earth to reconcile men and women unto him. So the primary peace that Jesus is bringing is peace between mankind and God. And yet even this many reject and they continue to in, uh, enjoy being trapped in their own sin. But this is what he offers. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So primarily that's what he wanted to do is he wanted to make sure that those of us who lived alienated from God now have peace with God. 
The second kind of peace that Jesus worked hard for is peace with people as well. Church people among one another as well. And how often do we even find like-minded people in church not at peace with one another? You see, the peace of God doesn't enable us to rest internally only. It, it also empowers us to, to change and, and somehow to respond to people differently. And when people give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, often there is a different response. There's something that happens in them. It seems like when they are at peace with God, that they also desire to now be at peace with other people. And they become more forgiving. They become more generous. They become more compassionate in their relationship. They become more self-aware of their own sin and the need of themselves to repent rather than looking at other people and trying to make them feel bad about their sin. In fact, making efforts for internal or interpersonal peace is the mark of a true believer. A true believer makes peace between other believers as well. The last thing about peace that I want to concentrate on tonight is first that Jesus wanted us to have peace with God. Jesus wants us to have peace with one another. But the last thing, and I think it's very applicable for the times that we are living in today, is Jesus brings us peace in our circumstances. Jesus brings us peace in our circumstances. I believe, my dear friend, when we submit to the Lordship of the Prince of Peace, Listen to what I'm saying. When we submit to the Lordship of the Prince of Peace, then eternal peace comes between God. Then also there is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit and he puts faith in me. And that faith starts believing and trusting in God in difficult times. Colossians chapter three, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Listen, this is not so by the way kind of thought. He says, in other words, it's almost like a command. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When you go through this, listen, let the peace of God rule in your heart now. Make a choice for that to happen. When we are submitted to Christ and the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to rule in our hearts, I believe truly we can have inner peace. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about everything or anything, but in in anything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will what? Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So in other words, when you come to God, and I'll end with it just now, and you pray and you talk to him about the stuff that you're going through, and you give thanks to him, then Jesus says, and I will give you peace that will blow your mind. It will be, the world will not even recognize it. They'll think you, you've lost your mind when you're at peace. You see, because the fact is, my dear friend, Jesus wants me to have peace in difficult circumstances. Let me take you to Luke chapter 8 quickly. Luke chapter 8 indicates that Jesus wanted people, his disciples, to understand that they could have peace in a very difficult storm. So here they are, Luke chapter 8. They in the, they, they, they've just preached the gospel. And Jesus has just done signs and wonders and miracles. And these apostles are all excited. And, but they're tired. They're a whole day of ministry. And Jesus then says to them, come, let's get into the boat. Let's go to the other side. And as he gets into the boat, he, he falls asleep. He chooses to go to sleep. And a mighty storm comes up. And the Bible says that, that the waves were so strong, they actually... The the water came into the boat. You see, my dear friend, let me tell you something. I want to remind you that as a Christian, your journey in life, it is helpful for you to understand that Jesus is in your boat. Jesus is in your boat. 
And when you go through those storms, when the water's rough and the water's coming in, let me tell you, if you would just go to him, Jesus is in the boat. And, and, and I want you to see something. Jesus invited them in the boat. And I believe Jesus knew that a test was coming, that a storm was going to come up, and that they were going to be tested. But, uh, their faith was going to be tested. So he says, come, let's go for a, let, let's go for a, um, a bit of a, a sail here. And he goes down and he goes to sleep. You see, sometimes we think we are tested because we're disobedient. Yes, sometimes it's true, but a lot of times it's not. Can you imagine what they did wrong that day? Maybe Jesus was so cross and said, you know what, you didn't really do it the way that I want you to do, so now I'm gonna take you into a storm. I don't think so at all. I think they had a great day of ministry. So they were tired, they get into the boat. Jesus invites them into the storm and then goes to sleep. They didn't do anything wrong. Let me tell you, not always are you in a storm because you've done something wrong or God wants to teach you a lesson. Sometimes he allows you because the second important thing I've learned from this passage is storms are inevitable. That's part of life. Don't listen to messages that says when you give your life to Jesus, everything is gonna go right. It is not Bible, it's not the Bible. Sometimes we are tested to our limits. I have heard people say to me in the past, you know what, I've never had life so difficult until I gave my life to Jesus. How many of you can identify with that? Things were going better to, for some until I, now I'm so being tested. Is this worth it, Ruloff? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You see, Jesus speaks in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, these things I have spoken to me, to you, that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, listen to what he says, you will have everything that you want, you will have been blessed, you'll be the head and not the tail, you'll have all the good stuff in life. No, he says, because in this world you will have tribulation. But what is he saying to them? He says, you know what, you're gonna go through some difficult times, but I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace. We need to realize that storms are going to come our way. Believer, believe it. Believe it. It will help you to deal with it. It'll help you not to say, well, I've done something wrong or God doesn't love me when I go through a storm. That's part of life, man. It is not the best place to be this time of this part of the grave. The better place is on the other side where things won't go wrong. However, in the midst of that storm that is inevitable, it will come your way. Jesus is in the boat. What storm are you facing today? Is it a relationship storm? Is it maybe a financial storm? Is it a health storm? Is it an emotional storm? Whatever your storm is, whatever it is that you're going through, let me remind you, let, I'm asking you not to forget that Jesus is in the boat. Now I wanna ask you an interesting question. Where was Jesus when there was a storm? Shouldn't he have been right there with the disciples rowing and, and, and getting the sails all sorted out and scooping out water? You know where Jesus was? He was asleep. What does that mean? What happens to you when you're at peace? You actually sleep well. 
You know, so often people say, oh, I don't sleep at night. I say, listen, make peace with God. Make peace with your circumstances. I go to bed and every night I just say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. It wasn't the best day of my life. But let me tell you, I thank you for rest you're going to give me. Before my head hits that pillow, my wife is still talking to me. It's the best time of my life. This morning at 4 o'clock, she started to talk to me about stuff that we should and shouldn't do. And, I, and we were both awake. And I said, Carol, let me just sleep a half an hour more because I get up at half past 4. I said, come on, come on. I'm... You know what? Peace. Jesus is lying in the boat. He's asleep. That means he was at peace. He was sleeping. Jesus is in the boat with you. Storms will be inevitable. Jesus is there. And the next thing I want to tell you, and I'll end with this maybe, is when you find yourself in a storm, let me give you simple, practical advice. Go to Jesus. That's exactly what the disciples did. Can you imagine if they said to one another, no, 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 don't wake him, don't wake him up. He, he's had a rough day. He ministered all day. He prayed for so many people. He did this and that, that. We can't wake him up. Maybe the master will be upset with, him, with us. If uh, No, they didn't. You know what? They ran with him, and it wasn't all that friendly. They shouted at him and said, listen, teacher, don't you care? We are perishing. And isn't that how we sometimes respond to Jesus? Instead of just saying and saying, Jesus, I, I, I know you're in the boat. I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to just do day by day stuff. I'm going to trust you for today. We go and say, don't you care? Yes, he does care because he's in the boat with you. He is in the boat with you. Jesus, or just because we are in a storm, it doesn't mean that God does not care for us. That is a lie. What it means is because we are in the storm, listen to me again, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Not the peace the world gives, but my peace I give to you. Let, not be, let your heart not be troubled. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus is saying in your storm at the moment. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. How do you and I go to Jesus? Because we're not physically in the boat with him, are we? Philippians 4 verse 6 tells us, do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request. How do I go to him? I go and pray. You know, I don't have to be religious about it, fall on my knees and close my door somewhere. I can do it in my car. I can do it wherever I am. Lord, I come to you. I'm in a storm. I know you're in the boat. I know that maybe you'll be sleeping, but it's because you had peace, and I want your peace now in Jesus' name. I bring this request, this pain, this turmoil. You may not remove it immediately, but I have peace that you will. And if you don't, I have peace that you will walk through this valley with me. Man, that's a, that's a powerful prayer to pray. Instead of naming, claiming, and framing it, I hand it back to him. And you know what the rest of that verse is? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will fill your heart and mind. How many times have I said to my wife, to my family, day by day, don't worry about September. Don't worry about October. Don't worry about January. Just live today. Let the peace of God just guard your heart and mind today because Jesus is in the storm. Jesus is in the storm. I hope, I trust that you will walk like that. I trust that you will tomorrow, Monday, just try it on Monday. Forget Tuesday, just try it on Monday. And saying, Lord, in the storm, I receive your peace. You're in the boat with me. I trust you in Jesus' name.